September 26th here at Newport Church. We're going to be doing it together as a family in the foyer, so please sign up for that. And then as well, if you've seen our conversations over coffee, Pastor Jonathan and William Itzen, who's hosting this podcast. So why don't you jump on? If you're a podcast listener, please subscribe to it. And if you're not, hey, get an app, download the podcast, and let's join the conversation with our senior pastor. Amen? Awesome. Well, why don't you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to honor the word of God and welcome our senior pastor, Diane Wilson. So good to see you here on this beautiful, sunny September day. Pastor Jonathan sends his love. He's in Florida, having a really bad hair day with all that humidity. (laughs) He's actually with Pastor John Siebling, who is one of our board members, and they are having some meetings this week, which is very exciting. And I sent him. You need to go. This is good for you. Last weekend, I wasn't here. I was in Charleston. Uh, with my two daughters, I met up there with my two sons, and I'm now um, about to have another child getting married, which is very exciting. Two weddings next year, Bentley proposed to his fiancée, and um, I've got to say I'm glad I don't have two daughters getting married next year, amen. All right, (laughs) let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace, your loving kindness. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Speak to us today, Lord God, in a way, Lord, that makes sense to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, let us leave here never the same again. Let us be transformed to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, you can take your seats. And um, I would love to just take a moment today. Um, Obviously, this is a big weekend not just in the heart of our nation, but in the heart of the world. Um, Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I'm sure most of us in this room were old enough to remember where you were at that very moment. We were in Australia, and um, my husband, Jonathan, he was actually in charge of our church at the time because our senior pastor and our worship pastor and a bunch of team were in New York on tour. And so Jonathan was the one who had to help calm all of our staff down and just actually just be that, and he's really good at that, I've got to say, pastor is pastor. But we all remember that moment. And, um, you know, for us, it was just unthinkable. And I can't imagine what it would have been like for those actually there present. So can we just have a moment, um, let's just have a moment of actual silence where we, um, we don't need to necessarily pray right now. We could just like close our eyes and just think about, others. Think about those who do need our prayers and think about those who um, are still suffering 20 years on, that there would be healing, healing in this land, healing in hearts. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. I have words resounding in my heart right now. God is a good God. God is a good God. And for all the people who are saying, well, how could a good God let something like that happen? Let's remember he is a good God. He's a faithful God. And he did not do this. 
evil is present in the world, which is why the Bible says how we overcome evil is not by retaliating in evil, it is by doing good. Amen? I want to bring you a little story that um, does relate to 9-11. And um, the title of my message today is The Presence of My Life. The Presence of My Life. The year, this year, the word presence is our theme. And I was thinking about how incredibly important it is that we are aware of who we are, uh, who we represent when we walk into a room, when we walk into somebody's life, and who we're going to affect, because our presence matters. And I want to speak to you about three particular aspects of our presence, and to ask ourselves the question, do, does the presence in our life represent these three things? And these three things I want to talk about today, number one, bravery, number two, unity, and number three, legacy. So... New York City 20 years ago was just horrific and um, some of you will know, many of you will know that my father was a firefighter for 38 years in Australia and I grew up as a firefighter's kid and I know what it was like to um, say goodbye to my dad every day and I know what it was like when he came home and how grateful I was. I want to read to you a quote from New York Fire Department Chief Edward Croker, who served as a firefighter from, uh, from 1899 to 1911. And I'm going to read you verbatim what he said. I'm not going to fix it up for political correctness. He said these words. And if we understand the era, these words were absolutely not only appropriate, but that's what existed. So here we go. This is what this man said. Firemen, anyone offended already that I didn't say firefighters or firewomen as well? Well, there weren't any back then. <laughs> So here he is talking. Firemen are going to get killed. When they join the department, they face that fact. When a man becomes a fireman, his greatest act of bravery has already been accomplished. What he does after that is all in the line of duty. They were not thinking of getting killed when they went where death lurked. They went there to put the fire out and they got killed. Firefighters do not regard themselves as heroes because they simply do what the business requires. And I just think that's a very powerful statement because it's not about hero heroism as we see Superman in a cape, as there is um, trophies and awards. It's actually about commitment. And brave is literally that. It is commitment in plain clothes. So the first, I want to ask you this question, does the presence of my life represent bravery? Now, bravery, like I said, is not superhero status. It's actually how am I when it comes to commitments in my life? Am I somebody who represents a person who is committed? You say you're going to do it and you actually do it. And I think that's a very, very um, important character trait of, for us as followers of Christ and for us as decent humans to be people of our word. So when we think of brave, it's really easy to automatically think of those who have done things like rushed in when people are rushing out. My dad, once, we didn't know where he was. This is pre-mobile phones. We were also away at a beach house that had no telephone, so it was uncontactable. My mum didn't drive. So it's my mum, my sister, myself, my two cousins, and my dad didn't arrive. And so we didn't know where he was. But I was never worried that Dad wouldn't come home. I didn't have that kind of fear. And my mum never set those vibes in action in our home either. 
But we, we, it's like, where is he? Where is he? Well, he finally arrives in the middle of the night because he had fallen down in between stairs in a very, very tall terrace that was ablaze. Somebody left their radiator heater next to their blanket and he fell down through three flights of stairs and, and broke both, sorry, broke one arm and one thumb. So he arrived in the car with a cast and a, a sling and he walked in the front door of our beach place and my mum was there, we were asleep and it was like, it's okay babe, here I am. I'm like, now was he brave because he fell through the stairs? Was he brave because he broke and broke? No, he was brave because he came home to my mum. He came home to us. And that's what I think we've got to think about as bravery. It's about responsibility. It's about commitment. It's not about being necessarily the hero. So Habakkuk 3.9 says this in the Amplified. I'm going to read to you what the Bible says. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hind's feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of troubling, suffering, or responsibility. How wonderful is that? That word responsibility is actually very cool. And in this day and age, there are few people who are willing to accept it and own it, if you know what I'm talking about. Everyone is thinking about somebody else right now, I'm sure. There's somebody you're thinking of, they're just irresponsible, or they say they're going to do something and they never do it. Well, let's just not be one of them. Amen? Matthew 21, 28 to 32. This is a parable that Jesus told about two sons. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the, ba- John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you did not believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. I just think this is a very powerful thing. This whole subject of commitment in this way. Now, could the older son said, yes, I'm going to come and show up? Yes, that would have been nicer. (laughs) But the son who said, yes, I'll be there. Yes, sir, I'll be there and didn't show up. That's where we've got to say, okay, Father God, I'm going to be responsible for my purpose, for what you've called me to do. I'm not going to say yes today and walk away tomorrow. Matthew 4, 33 to 37 This is Jesus teaching about vows. This is what the Bible says. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you made to the Lord. Anyone ever done that? Oh, Father God, if you do this for me, I will do that. And then it comes around, you're like, oh, why did I say that? Well, this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, Jesus saying this, I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem 
for Jerusalem is the great city of the great king. Do not say by my head because you can't turn one hair white or black. I wish. (laughs) Not even with a box of (laughs) colour. Do not even say by my head. Just say a simple yes I will, no I won't. I love this. No is a Bible word. It means you don't have to say yes to everything. It just means when you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. And he goes on to say, anything beyond this is from the evil one. So when we get into playing games to make people happy and we're in that people pleasing and we say, oh, yes, 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 yes. Are you coming to the party? Oh, yes, yes, yes. You have no intention of going to the party. So you've then got to find out how to explain why you're not going to the party or you may have RSVP'd that you're going and then all of a sudden something better comes up or you're tired. Well, it's evil for us to actually not tell the truth. So we've got to say, okay, if I've said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And if I can't do it for some reason, I've got to be able to share why. Amen? Commitment. Bravery is commitment in plain clothes. Here's the second thing. Does the presence of my life represent unity? I would say I'm 53, little old lady, not from Pasadena. I don't think I've ever experienced anything in my lifetime like what's going on right now. In the church, out of the church, it, is, it doesn't discriminate. This division of opinion, it is rife. It is so, it's rife and it's wrong. It is unbelievably rife and it is incredibly incredibly wrong does the presence of my life represent unity now it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion it just means what you do with that opinion we are free to do anything but we're not free to do anything that's going to hurt somebody I grew up in a home this is before my parents got saved they got saved when they were like in their mid-40s my bedroom was off the dining room, which was off the kitchen, all like the tiniest little space you've ever seen, with no bedroom door because my father used to renovate all the time and he took the bedroom door off to paint it. Five years later, he got busy with other... Th- so here I am. Here's my bedroom. Here is the dining room. Here is the kitchen. And the dining room was a place for grown-ups like uncles and aunties and whoever were over. And I'd be trying to go to bed, trying to go to sleep, trying to just have peace, trying to do homework, anything, but listening to the banter about politics. Oh, my, my. And it was like, are you guys going to kill each other? No, 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 they were having fun. This was a party. I'm like, you are driving me mad. So if I start to twitch, you, you say politics to me, I twitch. God did not call me to do commentary on politics Call me to be a pastor, a shepherd, somebody that is going to care for people spiritually. And I'm not going to get into politics. Doesn't mean I don't have an opinion, but sharing it and venting it and being ridiculous about it, causing division. People are not talking to each other right now because of all the different options there are in life. Let's not mention facts. Let's just not. Doesn't mean I don't have an opinion, but I would not do anything to lose a relationship over something. I'm not saying it doesn't matter either. I'm talking about relationships should be over over rhetoric. Let's choose relationships over rhetoric. Psalm 133, 
1 to 3. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is precious. Unity is harmony. So how do we get the division of opinion out of our the presence of our life? The division of opinion, not opinion, the division of opinion. How do we get it out of our life? How do we stay unified? Well, when we stop clashing and stop the clashing noise, I mean, harmony. I'm not, I love music. I'm a professional listener. Can't play an instrument, can barely hold a tune. Back in the day when everyone had to be in the choir, that was me. (laughs) Did the odd solo in sixth grade and that was probably like cringeworthy. But I do understand something. As a professional listener, I know when something sounds good and when something sounds awful. And harmony sounds good. Harmony sounds good because it is good. When it's all clashing and banging, it's just not good. It's never going to be good. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good. God wants us to be unified according to his purpose. So how do we do it? Here's a scripture. 1 Corinthians 9. 21 to 23. When I'm with the Gentiles, this is the Apostle Paul talking, when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I find I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This scripture, this common ground, is all very contextualized within the purpose of Christ. People can find common ground on nonsense. We've seen it. People can find common ground. You can find friends that will agree to anything because it's what they want to agree on, whether it's political, whether it's a personal agenda. But if you look at this scripture, it is very clear. I do it so I can bring them to Christ. I do it to obey the law of Christ. I do it because I want to bring the weak to Christ. I do it because I want to see people saved. I do it because I want to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Common ground. That's how we stay unified. That's how we avoid division. Amen? And let's look at some people right now who might be in that category of just being like ranting and raving and all the rhetoric. Let's look upon them as brothers and sisters in Christ, providing they are Christians, and say, okay, Father God, then I'm not going to ostracize them because obviously there's a weak link that has allowed them to go off on this tangent. I want to make sure that I keep common ground with people so that we don't lose people. Amen. I want to show you something I found on social media. Man's best friend, right? And um, I have no idea who posted this. Probably Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain or don't know. 
Pastor Jonathan, who knows? <laughs> but it was, it was Facebook. So I want to read this to you because I thought it was just a really good little summary to help us understand even further how important it is that we stay Christ-centred. Just because a Christian influencer has a large following does not mean that his or her theology or doctrine or view of God is correct. The number of numbers of followers does not equate to fruit, and it definitely does not mean a person is anointed, nor does it mean that they have any spiritual authority over anyone on the space, social media. It just simply means people like what they see, hear, and read. We must be careful who we follow, what we read, and most importantly, to use discernment because there are so many blind leading the blind. Uh, so read your Bible is the end of the... I'm like, that's a really good idea. Listen, we're free to do anything. We are free. But we have got to take that freedom and use it for the purpose of God. What is free for me may not be beneficial to you, and therefore that is my, that's my limit. That's my test. If it's not beneficial for you, then... I'm not going to do anything to try and hurt a relationship. Imagine if we today, September 12th, 2021, imagine if we could be the people of September 12th, 2001. Just think about that for a moment. How unified this nation was the day after 9-11. How unified the world was about justice about what was right, about peace, and about conquering evil. Imagine if we could be that kind of people and we got back into that unified hope for a better future. Remember that unity is what God blesses. And thirdly and finally, you're all very quiet today. You're just listening, I know. Some of you are here just to listen to my funny accent. I hope I am being articulate this morning. (laughs) Does the presence of my life represent legacy? Now, legacy is an interesting word because even when looking it up, dictionary, it usually is about passing something on to somebody else that's a tangible material thing. So legacy, an inheritance, passing on something of value. But I want to talk to you today about the equaliser of legacy that's actually got nothing to do with materialism. It's not nothing to do with passing down properties or um, money. I want to talk to you about the legacy of your life. And I love the thought of the legacy of our life because it doesn't matter what we've got to pass on. We've all got our life to pass on. We've all got what are we doing with our life that is going to be passed on to the next generation, whether that is the biological generation, kids we're raising, grandkids, or whether that is that are people who we are influencing spiritually because we all have a responsibility. Our life matters. Our life matters. So I want to just read you a scripture that is a key scripture in how we have legacy represented in our life and how we keep it in our life for the rest of our life. John 15, verse 4, says this, and this is Jesus speaking, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Who we are connected to will determine what we produce. Who we are connected to, we are so passionate. Our church, this is what we're all about, and we've been saying this for 15 years, connecting people to Christ, connecting people to God-given relationships and connecting people to their purpose. Those, those words are very important because connection is everything. Have you ever been on a telephone call and you're talking, 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 realise phone disconnected a little while ago, dropped out, oops, Wi-Fi, it dropped out, and all of a sudden you reconnect with the person you were talking to and you have to say, what was the last thing I said? Because you've been talking for five minutes, completely disconnected. <laughs> Connection is everything, and to stay connected is how we produce legacy in our life. So Pastor Jonathan gave me some very clear instructions about the garden, because um, he is the gardener in our home. I am the collector of the goods. I love to go out to the passion fruit vine, and I love to, he knows, don't pick up my, don't touch my fruit. You can fertilise, you can do the weeds, you can prune it, you can do all that, but let me pick the fruit because that's, like, that's my happy thing to do. The other day he actually was standing there with his arms crossed watching me and I said, you can just leave now, what are you doing? He said, well, I just, you know, just be very careful. I've just done... I said, can you leave? I said, I'm having a really happy time and you standing over me while I'm trying to pick my fruit. It's a true story actually. <laughs> go do something else today but he's very particular about how he cares for everything and I had to water oh yeah I did an oopsie water this one soak that one I soaked the wrong one and then Coda ate it don't tell Pastor Jonathan hi darling I love you he's there watching probably <laughs> but the other day um, all of a sudden, okay, so this passion fruit vine has been going for years and it started as a little plant, a little little viney bit, whatever it's called, and Pastor Jonathan has been like looking after this thing and, and it's, it's, it's his baby. And at first it produced some fruit and then every year it was like more fruit, more fruit. And now we have to, um, he, he actually cuts them, takes the passion fruit out and puts them in containers and we freeze them because there's too much fruit. There's like gazillion fruit. And the other day when I was doing my thing, my happy place, which is I'm going to find... It's like, it's like this little, I don't know, like a little um, jungle experience. What is it? It's in the corner and I feel like I am a million miles away from anywhere when I'm, when I'm in front of this thing. Anyway, so I'm going high, I'm going low, I'm looking around trying not to get stung by a bee because they're the ones that pollinate, unless Jonathan's home and then he does the pollinating because he thinks he can do a better job than the bees, of course. Um, and I found something and I was really sad because even though we have a lot of fruit and even though we, have, we, we give fruit away, we freeze it, I don't like to see wasted fruit. I don't like to see it. And I found this little guy. It's a fossil. It is a, it's a fossil fruit. And this little guy, this little passion fruit here, is empty. There's probably a little dry seed inside, dried, shriveled. 
And it was sitting right next to a piece of fruit just like that. Right next to it. They were touching. But the difference was one like this was connected to the vine. And this little guy was there right amongst all the fruit, totally disconnected, died. Not only did it die, it left nothing for the next generation. It can't reproduce anymore because it's a fossil. And how many people do we know that they might hang out in groups of fruitful people, but they're completely disconnected? Maybe they have found common ground with other fossils and have a little fossil club, I don't know. But for us, how about this? Stay connected, stay connected, stay connected. So many opportunities. I've been going to church since I was five years old and I can tell you how many times I have wanted to disconnect myself. Not from God, but from people. Because of disappointment, because of shame, because of different reasons over the years. When I was a young single mum, that's our story. Both Pastor Jonathan and I were married before. We're having our 25th wedding anniversary next April, which is very cool. But here I was, a single mum. I had two little boys, Ben and Bo. And I just made a decision that even though I had so much pain and disappointment in my life, pain, shame, disappointment in my life, to not disconnect. And I took my boys to church. And it was really hard because twin little ones, it's just hard, full stop. It's like... I remember walking into church one day and they were very, very good babies because I really just didn't leave the house and I, I put their, um, they were in their stroller and I just had the, like, the harness thing super tight so they couldn't get out, <laughs> like kindly tight, but I'm like, don't move. <laughs> so we, we were in church and they were being very, very quiet and somebody came up to me, one of the ushers, and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're going to have to leave. And I said, Why? well, because you can't have babies in here. And I said, okay, why? Actually, I wouldn't have asked twice. I would not have said why twice. I think I just got up. That's right. I'm, I'm not going to say, but why? And I'm offended. And let me take a video of you telling me to get out. Let, let this go viral. No. I just got up. I went into the foyer and I sat down. There was this round area round bench seating and I sat there with my perfectly behaved boys for once they were like really quiet and I cried I cried I said father God I don't know how to do this it took me everything to get them ready get me ready to walk into a place that I feel very afraid of right now and now we can't even go to church I'm in church and I can't go to church and this lady came up to me and she said why are you crying darling and I said because we can't, we're not allowed inside and I don't know what to, where to go. And she said, oh, come with me. We're going to go to Wonderland. I said, what? What's Wonderland? And it was Sunday school. And I did not know that there was a place for little kids, for babies. Of course, we take that for granted now. We've got the most amazing kids program for our little ones. But I did not know. I went to Sunday school when I was five. I didn't know there was a place for babies. And she took me down this corridor very similar to what we have here, beautiful. And I went, this is Disneyland. Disneyland. And I'm so glad that day that I chose to sit in the foyer and cry rather than get in my car and go. And sometimes we've just got to plough through and not just disconnect 
because of pain, shame, disappointment. And I'll fast forward that story because that connection is everything. How did I meet Pastor Jonathan? Well, it wasn't at a country bar, I'll just say that. I mean, if you want to go boot scooting, uh, you like country dancing, that's fabulous. But I met Pastor Jonathan serving in church. Woohoo! If you want to get married, stick around, don't disconnect. <laughs> I met him in church serving with my two babies in tow. I wasn't thinking about getting married again. I just didn't want a life of pain anymore. And I thought also because it's, you know, I'm a package deal here, that's pretty safe. No one's going to want me and us. No, no, no. Man of God saw me connected. Man of God saw me serving. And by the grace of God, I still don't know how he chose me. But my children, all of our kids together. So he had two, I had two, and together we had two. Uh, the, the two oldest ones are off doing their own thing. But the four that I raised, my goodness, by staying connected as a mum, they are connected. That's what's called legacy. Legacy is what has my life given to my kids. I'm not talking about material possessions. I'm not talking about whether I'm going to leave them a part of a house or jewellery. That kind of legacy is, you can't take it anyway. It's like, okay, it'll bless you as life goes on. I'm talking about what does my life leave for my kids? And here, just last weekend, my son Bentley chose the most beautiful girl who loves Jesus. They do Bible study every day. They pray. I'm like, Father God, I don't want anything else in my life. Here is legacy. Legacy is what does our life represent? You want it to be flourishing. You want it to look good, smell good, taste good, be good. And you want it to keep producing. Producing. I want 20 grandkids. No shame in that. I've put my order in. All four of my kids want twins. So I'm like, well, okay, that should work out. 20, folks, 20. I want this. I want this. I want the legacy of my life to be reproduction of life. And if I get one grandkid, if I have five adopted grandkids, legacy of my life. Are we going to stay connected? Are we going to make sure that we don't become this just because we're hanging around with this? Legacy is our reality and we will leave behind one or the other of our life. I want to pray. If you could just close your eyes for a moment. I can remember when I very, the first time I heard about being born again, I had gone to church, like I said, since five. I had known that Jesus was my best friend, thank goodness, because school is brutal and it meant I always had a best friend. But you know, I wasn't aware of the saying born again or that there was even a thing until I arrived on a bus with my youth group when I was 12 years old at a stadium where a man was speaking and he said, come to Jesus. And he explained 
you can't actually come to Jesus by being a good person. You can't come to Jesus by thinking good thoughts because no one's ever going to be good enough and no one's ever going to think enough. And he talked about this is about believing and then belonging and not about behaviour. And he said, if you want to be born again, then come to Jesus. And that made sense to me. I didn't know how on earth to have this relationship with Father God. I knew how to have it with Jesus. But then I knew I was going to go to heaven. And this man, his name was Billy Graham. And I went down on that wall to call. I didn't know who he was then. I just remember he had kind eyes and he said, come to Jesus. And I want to ask you today while everyone's eyes are closed and if you're watching at home, this is such an important thing. You know, we can't get to heaven by being a good person. We can't get to heaven by saying just good things. We can't do it by hanging out with people who are Christian. We have to make this decision on our own. This is you and the Lord, you making peace with God. And it is the most precious thing you could do in your whole life. And I want to ask you today, we're going to say a prayer, all of us together in this room, because we're family. And if you say this prayer and you mean it with your heart, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you will experience salvation, which means being put back together again the way that God created you to be. What a wonderful thing. All that brokenness, all that pain, all that shame goes way away and you get a brand new start. What a gift. Let's say this prayer together. And if, if that's you praying this prayer, just say it out loud and mean it with your heart. If that's you at home, pray along with us right now. Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you, Father, for a brand new start. Thank you, Father, for giving me a life that can represent you in bravery, in unity, and legacy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's thank God for people who made that decision today. Best decision you can make. And if you did pray that prayer, either for the first time or maybe you realise that you have become disconnected and you want to get right back, remaining in Him, you want to get connected again with the Lord. And if you pray that prayer, whether it's for the first time or a rededication of that commitment, then we want to help resource you today. We're so thrilled. We want to be here for you. And a member of our team is standing by the sound desk with a book to give you about following Jesus. We also have a class that runs every Sunday morning and uh, before church. And we would love you to um, come and be part of that. I believe it's 9.30 to 9.55 every Sunday morning. And uh, we just want to answer questions. And if we don't have the answer, we will find the answer. And if we can't find the answer, then we will help you understand how not everything is answerable in life. We'll help you to the best of our ability, but we're not going to just give you information. We want to connect your heart with the Lord so that we can help you learn what it is to listen listen to His voice because ultimately that's where our peace comes from. Amen? 
All right. And if you are watching online, you prayed that prayer, then uh, you can see a link to where we can send you resource, send you information. Uh, But we're going to pray now if you want to stand to your feet. And uh, I want to bless you as you go, that you have a really amazing week, that we're all mindful of connection. And um, yes, and if you need healing in your body, if you've got a loved one who needs healing in their body, we believe in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for your amazing grace, your loving kindness. I thank you, Father God, for your healing, your blessing and your protection over every person here in this house today. Those watching online, families represented here, loved ones, Lord God, who need a miracle. We thank you in Jesus' name for your loving kindness and goodness. In Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. All right, church, here we go. Have a blessed rest of your day and we will see you next Saturday at Marriage 365.